Hey, welcome into the Irish NFL show presented by our partners over at Trust Gaming. Michael here, joined by, well, the, the three amigos, I guess, in one sense. Colin Cronin, <laughs> Brian O'Leary, and last but by no means least, Mark Cockerell. Gentlemen, welcome in. Where, where are we? Are we in Dublin? Are we in Cork? Where, where are we? I feel Brian should probably introduce where we are. Uh, give, give, it'd be more fitting for, for him to, to be the one to say it. We're in a secret location in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll leave it at that. Secret unmarked location. Um, all good. Anyway, look, we're here. The NFL season kicks off on Thursday night. It's NFL kickoff week. Um, before we bring on our special guest, Steve Weich, we're going to go through a point each, maybe about what has been interesting over the last week in the NFL. Before we do that, really quickly, let's talk about this week. It's a massive week for us. Colin, we're in the Aviva this Saturday. Uh, sorry, this Sunday. Probably get my days right. Massive week for us this week. Who's coming on Tuesday night? Tuesday night is the uh, man himself from Sky Sports, Mr. Neil Reynolds. Uh, the man, I suppose, most synonymous with the NFL in the UK. So delighted to have Neil joining us again and uh, looking forward to a good chat with him about the season ahead. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see what everybody's sleeping patterns like here by the end of the week. Massive season preview on Wednesday, Brian. What's going to happen there? Wednesday night, yeah, the, probably the biggest episode we've done this off-season, which it happens to be our 56th episode of the off-season. And lo and behold, we will be talking about Super Bowl 56. But yeah, a bumper episode, every division covered. And interesting picks ahead in terms of who wins divisions. And who wins the Super Bowl? I can't wait to see Brian's pick for the Super Bowl. It's going to be an incredible pick. Will it be the Giants? We'll find out on yes. Wednesday night. Finally, before we kick off, uh, Mark, Thursday night, 9 p.m., NFL kickoff, the Bucks against the Cowboys. We're going to have a preview show as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Super Bowl champions against America's team. Sorry for the inverted commas, Cowboys fans. But it's a great game to kick off the 2021 season with. We'll be there for a nice leading show to build up to all the action there. And looking forward to it immensely. Yes, sir. I can't wait. I can't believe it's five days away now to NFL kickoff. God help our sleeping patterns. And please feel free to send coffee to Tyrone at some point this week. Boys, what's been on your mind this week in the NFL? What's been the main topics for you guys? Colin, we'll start with you. Um, for me, it was. I, it seems like uh, while Peyton Manning has retired, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning continue to go back and forth. After I feel Peyton gave a commissioner speech during his Hall of Fame induction speech where I think he was auditioning for the role when Roger Goodell uh, gives up in 2026, we saw Tom Brady this week with a really interesting interview where he talked about how he feels defences are hard done by, how the game has swung too far in favour of the offense and I could imagine defensive players and fans around America and indeed around the world because I know I was sitting there nodding in agreement kind of finding it strange that I was nodding in agreement with Tom Brady but he has become an infinitely more lovable character since he moved uh, down to Florida but I thought he made some really great and excellent points but I could also see Tom Brady when he finally finally does uh, ride off into the sunset he may have another Super Bowl ring at that point, but I could see him being, uh, you know, vying with Peyton Manning for that commissioner's role in the NFL. Colin, he's always been lovable. Let's be clear about this. He's always been lovable. But the, the funniest part about that interview, because I saw it as well, and I fully agree, some great points around, as he said, it's almost like 
you're putting the responsibility on the protection of the offensive players out of the hands of the quarterback, out of the hands of the offense, and in the hands almost of the referees. Because the defensive players do anything, uh, the offense messes up, and they get bailed out by the defense. Like, this is, and the officials, this isn't right. The only people disagreeing with him, because those three uh, <laughs> Bucks players there were Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans sitting there kind of going, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, we like these rules that protect us. So, that was the only downside for it. But it was, it was a great presentation, a great point he was making that does take you aback when it's coming from the premier quarterback. The premier the quarterback. <laughs> you know the season's only a few days away when Mark's talking like that there. Brian, what's your takeaway of the week? Uh, my takeaway, I suppose, is Tom Brady's former team, the Patriots, they've finally made a decision in terms of where they're going with their quarterback and probably not a surprise, Colin suggested a couple of weeks ago on the show, which is that Mac Jones would be the starter. Um, I was a little bit surprised because I felt we got to a stage where Cam may potentially be the quarterback for the first three to four weeks of the season and gradually they would move Mac Jones in, but Bill Belichick and by all accounts all the players are comfortable with the decision they've seen over the past month. He seems to have beaten Cam Newton out fair and square in terms of his play within the training camp and not so much the last week which was obviously the COVID situation where Cam was tested outside of the perimeter shall we say and they've moved Cam on he's not been kept within the, the panel the squad and people have been a bit critical of Cam this week and I found it a little bit unfair because he's been in the league for 10-12 years and by and large he's very rarely caused any trouble I know he, people kind of perceive him having his own kind of attitude in terms of what he believes he is as a quarterback throughout the years but I think more so the base has made a decision that having him as a backup to a rookie isn't the right thing. He would be better off going off where he can be a backup to a quarterback that's been in the league for two or three years, maybe four or five, whatever. But for me, it was a slight surprise that that happens so, so soon to the season. Yeah, and Cam Newton won win away from a Lombardi trophy six years ago. Now that's a long time ago, Colin, for Broncos fans. Mark, what's your big takeaway this week? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of a follow-on from the Cam point. Um, I was a bit surprised that Patriots didn't keep him as a backup quarterback. With the COVID rules, and unfortunately that word keeps coming up, the NFL has laid down the law. They've laid down the law on what they expect and what are going to be the rules if people are close contacts, if people are unvaccinated in their close contacts. All of these different principles. Your backup quarterback, we talked about it last year being important with the provisions, is even more important this year. So the fact the Pats didn't keep him surprised me. I actually want to call out and love the Eagles move and a bit of an underrated move. Sixth round pick for Gardner Minshew. Picking up a backup quarterback there for Jalen Hurts, who hasn't played a full season, who's gone injured before. Um, for someone that's got 20 starts, can definitely do in a pinch. That's the type of low risk reward kind of mark I want to see from players. But the other thing I just want to briefly touch on is a really nerdy thing. God, surprise, I know. Um, there is a rule change that is going to impact games this season. And there's a couple of rule changes that are very interesting this season. But one that's really going to impact for any casual fans or anybody that didn't pick it up in the off-season, the cut block rule has now fundamentally changed. If you're outside now a designated tight end box, being two, years, uh, two yards past the, where the tight end lines up, five yards deep, five yards deep either in the backfield or the, in front of the offensive line, you can now no longer cut block. So what this means is extended running plays, stretch plays, uh, screen plays, etc. Mm. Both for the offense and the defense. Because when you have a D-back trying to take on a big guard in open field in a screen, they go low. If they do that now, that's another 15 yards being added on. So this is going to change how offenses attack. This might, in fact, change 
different approaches from the wrong game from different offensive coordinators. And we might not see the impact in week one, week two, but we'll see it as the season goes on. And I guarantee you, we'll see it when fan bases go nuts when this gets called against their team during the season. I can't wait to see what's going to happen there. My big takeaway this week is personal. Personal for all of us. We're going to Dublin, Belfast and London this season. Belfast is in the deer's head. Beside the Cathedral Quarter week three, Dublin has been announced recently with a wool shed. It's free entry. You have to RSVP on Facebook. Please do. The link is on our website and on our, on our Twitter page now. And London, the venue is going to be announced this week. Uh, it's been moved due to logistical issues, but that's going to be confirmed this week. But you can get tickets. The link is on our website now. If you want to come, please do. Belfast is almost sold out. We expect Dublin to be sold out or limit or maximum capacity as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, it's hard to believe we're going to be in Dublin, Belfast and London five out of the next seven weeks gentlemen and that's a that's a situation for another day uh colin massive guest on this week's show do you want to introduce him um yeah look he i think uh most famous to to people over here for his work on the nfl network but also uh, incredible background in journalism talks to us a little bit about that it's not just the nfl we speak about but that is what we speak about for the majority of this i think uh, people will enjoy it lots of insights some good laughs as well so delighted to welcome steve weiss to the show it's kickoff week on the irish nfl show we have been talking about the nfl for six or seven months and finally a game is this thursday our first guest on this packed week which coincides with an appearance at the aviva stadium this sunday is nfl network steve weish steve it's an honor to have you on welcome to the irish nfl show oh it's an honor to be on thanks so much for having me guys thank you very much steve for coming on uh, we ask everybody this especially somebody from the states have you any connections to ireland have you ever been to ireland before well, my sister-in-law is Irish, and she's in Ireland all the time. But other than that, I think my only connection are some of the fine spirits that uh, some of your forefathers have mastered through the years that I've put in my body. Well, uh, certainly, if you'd like to uh, make your way over to Ireland, uh, Steve, and, and taste them on the little green island, uh, you're, you're more than welcome. And uh, you've got a few tour guides now to, uh, to bring you around. Um, I suppose. Look on this. Is, side, is that is that is that a safe is that a safe invitation? I mean, oh, am I am I going to be good if I take you guys up on that? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you'll have okay. the time of your life. All right. <laughs> I, and on on this side of the Atlantic, you're you're best known, you know, for your work on NFL Network. But um, you you know you you begin or or at one point you you were covering the the Falcons for the Atlanta Journal Constitution and and in the lead up to the draft we had D Orlando on with us, um, uh, talking about uh, the the Falcons. Just uh, interested in in hearing us was a little bit about you know your your time there and uh, your career to, as you built towards your your work on uh, the NFL Network, Steve. That was a long time writer. Um, you know, I covered uh, high school sports and the Miami Dolphins uh, and University of Florida football and things. And I worked in Miami for nine years as a writer. Um, and I ended up covering the NBA, uh, the Miami Heat down there. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, and covered the NBA when Michael Jordan came to play for the Washington Wizards and, and all that in the early 2000s before going back or going to Atlanta and working for my old sports editor 
who had taken over the sports section in Atlanta. He was my old sports editor in Miami. So I went down there and I ended up covering the Falcons. And Daryl Ledbetter, you talked to Dew Orlando, I call him Daryl. I've known him for forever. Um, him and I were partners uh, covering the Falcons back then. And, you know, Daryl and I, we went to the same college, Howard University. Uh, he's a little bit older than I, but um, knowing each other for a while, when I covered the Falcons, it was the height of the Michael Vick era. I mean, he was the player in the NFL that everyone, no matter where the Falcons went, paid to see because he was just so electric. And then, of course, in 2007 was the investigation for Michael Vick's dogfighting uh, situation, which, of course, ended with, you know, him pleading guilty. Uh, so that was a just an absolute disaster for the, the city and the NFL and the Falcons and it was just a crazy year because they had hired Bobby Petrino to be their head coach and he quit with three games left. And it was just an absolute disaster and the most trying year of my journalistic career. Um, but we made it through. We did some great work, Daryl and I. Um, and then a few months after that kind of ran its course, I was offered a position with the NFL Network and I was a field reporter. It's my first time going into TV. Um, so I was a field reporter based in Atlanta. Um, through the end of 2011, and then that I, then I was relocated out to our headquarters, the NFL Network headquarters in Los Angeles, uh, where I have been ever since. Steve, that kind of brings me to, to our next question. We, we've been very fortunate over the number of months to interview quite a few of your colleagues from NFL Network, and we kind of get a feeling like a great sense of family within the organization in terms of covering the game every day. You're, you're 13 years, I suppose, give or take there now, and just your your transition initially into, into that phase and how, how much you enjoyed in, in your current role? You know, it's, it, that's a great question because, you know, most people, when they're first hired by the NFL network or a major network like ESPN or ABC or CBS, they've only had kind of a singular or very regional aspect of coverage, right? So I covered the Miami Dolphins for a couple of years, but then I went to cover the NBA and came back to cover the Falcons. You know, I'd never covered the Packers or the Patriots or, or the 49ers or something like that is, is kind of a, a bigger picture type of, you know, it's journalism, you know? And so being at the network has allowed me to spend time at all 32 teams to meet coaches who get fired or hired elsewhere to really expand my kind of inner sanctum of sources and, and just people and, and build relationships all through the league. So now I can go to just about any facility and have somebody in the building that I know or some type of relationship that's going to help my reporting come much easier than it was, you know, when I first started. And a lot of that, guys, is the people I work with. You know, I used to cover Steve Smith when he played for the Panthers. Well, now he's a colleague. So we have a lot of conversations. I used to cover James Jones um, when he was with the Packers. Now he's a colleague. And it's been like that through so many of the people that I've had the, the good fortune to work with. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood. It's it's really a, a great family where once the former players come in and they're like, okay, can I trust this guy now? I guess I can't because we're colleagues. They relax, you know, and, and it's just, it's just really kind of a melting pot of shared information and stories that often help us when we go into these buildings and talk with coaches and, and players, um, you know, throughout the NFL. So it's a really cool deal. I know 50 billion people want my job and every day, I wake up feeling fortunate that I still have it and I'm able to do what I do. Well, 
obviously Steve Collin has touched on your your past, your links to Atlanta. We're quite fortunate, I guess, as fans over here that we've got the Falcons coming to London week five. It's really been a, a season or an off season in which a lot has changed. Obviously, Julio's gone. Guys like Kyle Pitts is coming in. You could look at you know teams such as the Saints and Panthers in transition there. How do you feel yourself you know, with your affinity to Atlanta and just your general thoughts on how they might get on this season? They could be competitive. Their, their roster is really peculiar, right? So they've got Matt Ryan, of course, the veteran quarterback, who's a very good player, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Calvin Ridley's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Um, Kyle Pitts is going to be fantastic. And, and Grady Jarrett's one of the better defensive linemen. But other than that, for them to remain competitive over a 17-week schedule, they've got to stay healthy first and foremost. They do not have a lot of depth that can come in and compete with a team like the Saints or with a team like the Buccaneers. So, you know, they, they've got to stay healthy and they've got to really learn to play as a sum of their parts because they don't necessarily have a lot of great individual talent. But we've seen teams that – have not had a lot of great individual talent play together as a unit and do well, the Patriots, for years. I mean, the Carolina Panthers, when they had Steve Smith, they went to Super Bowl with Jake Delhomme as their quarterback. So, you know, the Seahawks do that year in and year out. They don't have a ton uh, of great individual players anymore, but they but they play together, you know, and the, and the key cog to a lot of that is the great quarterback play. So that's where I think the Falcons have an opportunity. It's, it's going to be tough. Um, there's just a lot of teams that overall are better and more established than them. But if they get some early momentum with a schedule that I think is favorable, that could really play into the possibility of them getting into double-digit wins. Maybe talk to us about, about the, the importance of QB play. And, and as we record this, teams are finalizing their 53-man rosters. The biggest surprise, obviously, Cam Newton is no longer in, in New England. They're going with the rookie in, in Matt Jones. Just interested in, in your thoughts on that. Was that Matt Jones winning that? Did, did, did the Cam's vaccine status play a role? And do you, do you think that we might see Cam you know, get a shot somewhere else as a starter at some point this season? Yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack there. So let's undress, or let's address, not undress. Let's address the Mac Jones situation first. Bill Belichick is going to play the best player. So Mac Jones won that job, right? When you started seeing some of the comments coming out of New England over the past week or so with established veterans like Matthew Slater talking about, this guy leads us. We're all in on Mac Jones. That should have been the kind of glowing light, like, okay, Mac Jones, he's got the locker room. And see, good coaches, when evaluating young quarterbacks, don't just look at the talent and the plays they make. They look at how the veteran players respond. And they have a certain culture in New England that was responding to Mac Jones. Now to get to another point, we know Cam Newton had to miss five days of joint practices and other workouts against the Giants because he was unvaccinated and had a close contact situation. You never, ever in a competition of any sort allow someone else to sit in your chair and to give your bosses an opportunity to see how things would function without you in there. Because if they function better, you're out. And I think that absolutely factored into the Patriots' decision with Cam Newton. Maybe not so much the vaccination status, 
but the fact that Mac Jones came in and took advantage of the opportunity that you helped provide. Okay, so that's part of it. Now, in terms of Cam Newton's future, uh, competing for a starting job, that's that's not happening. Not happening. I mean, if, if, if Cam had that opportunity before and nobody really took him up on it other than New England, that is what it is. I mean, even look at some place like New Orleans. They signed James Winston when they could have had Cam Newton. So I think right now Cam has got to come to grips with the fact that he's going to be a backup. If he has an opportunity um, this season, maybe go to a team, try to get with a team where you've got kind of a slippery slope of a quarterback situation. Maybe Atlanta, even though I don't think the Falcons want to bring him in. Yeah, uh, He's from Atlanta. And another thing, you know, talking to general managers, and I don't know how much it still plays, but over the past couple of years, Cam is a massive presence in terms of huge personality, huge social media outreach, um, a dynamic individual. You want that to be your backup quarterback that can kind of overshadow the persona of your starting quarterback? There's going to be teams that will stay away from Cam because of that. But I, I do think he'll get an opportunity this year, but it, it won't be immediate, in part because if he is unvaccinated, which we all believe he is, um, he's got to wait five days before a team can bring him in. And that's another thing that's going to hurt a lot of players around the league if they're unvaccinated. They can't get into camps right away and learn the system. Steve, just on the vaccination program and particular quarterbacks, we just touched on it there. But Carson Wentz, for example, you know, he had the foot yep. injury. I looked for a period in which he, he may be out for five to eight weeks. That was the initial kind of piece that was coming out in the news at the time. He's since come back and now it looks like he will be available for week one. And then we find out this week he's not vaccinated. He's going to have to stay away from the facilities. We've got the core cousin situation. And it's well documented. There's a lot of players in the league that don't see the need to get vaccinated. And it's quite clear how they feel about it. You know, is it going to get to a stage where quarterbacks, whilst they're very good quarterbacks in the league, the head coach will have to make a decision that it's just not viable to, to maintain, maintain them as their number one because they may not be available to play. Come Friday, come Saturday, they could get ruled out of the game. Right. I mean, this is – head coaches are, are – their heads are exploding because of this. We've seen how, how outspoken Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings, has been about unvaccinated players, especially when in training camp his entire quarterback room was unavailable for practice for a week, and they just had to go out and get some guys off the street – so the other guys could actually get through practice. And so that's the huge concern, right? So it looks like Carson Wentz will be back for week one, you know, if he's over the injury and, you know, he'll clear, he'll have cleared COVID protocols. But what about during the season? You know, that's, that to me is the bigger concern. Like the Vikings are stuck with Kirk Cousins. They're on the financial hook to rock with him. I mean, they're paying him $30 million a year. So they can't just say we're cutting him. That, that's not going to happen. But let's just say he goes through a stretch where he's got to miss a week. And Kellen Mond, the rookie, has got to come up and play. That could be a swing game that could get them in or out of the playoffs. And it's that, again, you know, people talk about the individual freedoms of this. And, and you know, hey, wh whatever you believe. But what about the rest of the guys on the team who are impacted by this? There's some veteran players where this is their last shot. You know, this is something where a coach could get fired. Mike Zimmer's on a, on a warm seat up in Minnesota. He could get fired if this team doesn't make the playoffs. And if a quarterback can't play for a game or two because of this, this is a huge issue. And it's and it's going to rear its head this year. It will rear its head. I would have thought as well, uh, general manager uh, Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich haven't given Carson Wentz the opportunity to, again to rebuild his career when none of that about a team were looking to make that trade. Kind of might look at this and go, it's a bit of a, a slap in the face for them to a certain extent. Well, 
I mean, look, if you don't do your homework before you make a trade like that, they've had plenty of weeks to get this, this rectified. Yeah. I mean, if you've got buyers remorse now, it's a little late. And then the fact that his, that his backup, Sam Erlinger, the rookie quarterback, comes in and gets hurt, they're really in a bad spot. So maybe they go get Cam. I don't know. But you, can you do that? Because we saw how Carson Wentz, when he was with the Eagles, they drafted Jalen Hurts, and that kind of fractured him mentally. You bring Cam Newton in, can he stand up to that? They're similar quarterbacks and what they can do. So, look, this is part of it. This is part of it. You have to take – if you're going to get a player like that and he doesn't want to get vaccinated, you've got to deal with the – you've got to deal with the possibilities. And as a player, if you want to possibly leave your coach hanging like that and your teammates hanging like that, that's on you. So it could be a very, very intriguing locker room dynamic. Yes, sir. Well, the season is almost upon us, Steve. We have the kickoff this Thursday night. Obviously, a little bit of time in between now and Thursday, but with the Bucks going up against the Cowboys, what's your initial thoughts in, in, in this game on, on Thursday night? And who do you think might get the win week one? Week one's always kind of like fool's gold. There's a lot of teams that win week one that look great that end up, you know, five and 11, which could now be five and 12 since we're playing 17 games. But going into this, you know, I think both teams offensively are going to be a little rusty. Remember, Dak hasn't played. He's really only practiced. So they've got to work through some things from the communication, you know, from the coach to his helmet to the actual execution of plays. Tom Brady has played some. Um, so there's that. I mean, look, I expect the Buccaneers to win this ball game. I mean, they're at home. There's going to be a lot of hype and hoopla. They've got an incredible defense. You know, as much as we're going to talk about Tom Brady and all his tools, the Buccaneers won that Super Bowl, you know, in that playoff run because of their defense. That final few five weeks of the regular season when guys got healthy and finally learned what Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, wanted to do. And then what they did in the postseason, I think they allowed four touchdown passes and had six takeaways. That's insane. So the defense, you know, that's going to be problematic for the Cowboys. And, and so – Week one, I would expect the Buccaneers to win. And I think it's going to be the Bucs defense that's really going to be the secret sauce to them having a successful season. See, we're a, a nation of storytellers in Ireland. And uh, you have had quite the career of, of telling stories, done some great stuff around HBCUs. Uh, obviously, we're five years on from the Colin Kaepernick story that, that you broke. Just, I suppose, interested in, you know, so, Obviously, you can't pick one or two, but maybe some of your favorite moments or, or some of the ones that have stood out to you. It can be the, the Kaepernick one, um, but I, I, we, we want to give you a platform, I suppose, just to talk to us. We love hearing other people's stories, so just interested in hearing maybe some of yours. Oh, man, some of the great stories. I mean, no, it's, I mean, Colin Kaepernick and Michael Jordan and Michael Vick, those are the big headline-grabbing stories, but like the really – my two favorite stories um, I think I've had to write. One was when I was in Miami, I was covering boxing. And there was a young Jamaican fighter, you know, kind of on the local scene. Tough guy, like a welterweight, just a tough, tough guy. But he couldn't bust a grape, right? He didn't have a lot of power in his punches. So when, they, when these trainers had these good up-and-coming fighters, they would always run them through him. Like, if they get through this guy... They're, they're on the precipice of, of working their way into a title shot. So this guy would show up and he was, he kind of became a household name, but he was also like a, uh, 
a graduate student at the University of Miami. He was like this really brilliant guy who was also earning money on the side as a security guard at a very fancy apartment building where a lot of celebrities lived, including Whitney Houston, singer. And so one day, being kind of the diligent human being that he was, Whitney Houston pulls up to the security gate and she doesn't have her ID or anything. He's like, I can't let you in. And she's having a fit. Like I'm Whitney Houston. He's like, you might, you may be, but you know, I, I got cameras on me. My bosses are making sure I don't, you know, let just anybody in the building. So a big conundrum, she gets in, she tries to get him fired. And, but because he's like this wonderful human being who's working so hard to better his life, is also a pretty decent boxer. You know, they don't, they don't let him go. So when the story is told, he kind of becomes like this really cool legend. Like here's a guy just being a really good human being, doing his job, his little side hustle as a security guard, tries to get taken down by Whitney Houston. But once again, he survives like he does every month when he fights in the ring. So that was one of my favorite stories to have to tell. And then another one was when I covered the NBA uh, with the Washington Wizards. They went out and acquired this player, Gilbert Arenas, uh, who had a really good career before he got hurt. But this is like one of the weirdest, you know, most outspoken, just completely out of left field guys, you know, you're going to meet. I loved Gilbert, hell of a player. And so he signs with the Washington Wizards for this huge contract. And I was like, how did you end up signing here? You know, you're from L.A. The Clippers are offering you kind of similar money. He says, you know, I flipped a coin 10 times. And I said, oh, OK, so it came up heads, which were the Wizards more times. He's like, no, it came up more times with the Clippers. But because I'm such a weird guy, I was going to go to the team that had the fewest results. And, you know, at first I'm like, OK, this is BS, but it's a good story. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. But then coming out, you know, after years of knowing Gilbert to see how he was really this different character, it really kind of, you know, solidified the point that, yeah, Gilbert probably did go with the fewer number of coin flips because it was a really fun story to tell. And it got a lot of reaction. Um, and, and those are like just two of my favorite stories to like write and tell because you know i really got into it they were really kind of something that touched a nerve with a lot of the readers um and i love the fact that my favorite stories that i've ever been involved with have been written stories because i am a writer by trade and, and it seems like the written word seems to last longer uh in the memory bank of, of, of humanity you know like the Kaepernick story that was a written story it wasn't a, a video story so um, but yeah, when it comes to storytelling and, and, and things like that, those are two of my faves. Steve, can I ask your thoughts on, on the preseason games? You know, for years we've had four preseason games. Last season, obviously with the pandemic, no games. The league has since reduced it to three. And in the past couple of weeks, we've seen meaningless, meaningless injuries in the sense that J.K. Dobbins has now gone for the season. And Travis Etienne for the Jags hasn't even played a snap in the league and he's gone for the season. Do you think we'll get to a stage, because it's evident a lot of coaches want to see the games gone, do you think we'll get a stage where it'll be reduced even further? Could be. I mean, the NFL has is, is really contemplated having two preseason games before. Now, the league wanted 18 regular season games. The players have resisted. Um, maybe we eventually get to that point. But I think we're going to see three. I think we're going to see fewer starters 
play even more. I mean, very few starters play anyway. And I think that's going to continue to be the trend, but I don't really see a problem with that because those preseason games, that's where you're developing guys that may not initially get a lot of reps in games, but at some point, some of those guys are going to have to play. And that's a good developing ground for them where you can actually coach them. Cause you get into the regular season, you are preparing for that week's opponent. You're not coaching guys up in your scheme much anymore. So this is a good opportunity to do that, to kind of get those guys some momentum and some game experience. I do think maybe eventually we get to two games, um, but I don't, I don't foresee that happening within the next two or three years. Steve, final question from us lads here. Who's winning the all in Los Angeles in February? Oh my gosh. You guys are doing <laughs> this to me. Who's winning it all? Or can I put the two teams in there? Are you, are you making me go for, go for the two teams? teams? It's fine. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. All right. We'll go for the two teams. All right. For the NFC, I'm going with the green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers last year with the pack. Gosh, I'll probably change my mind on this 15 times. <laughs> and then in the, in the AFC, in the AFC, I, I, it's just, it's just, I, I'm so torn between, you know, Buffalo and Kansas City and the Cleveland Browns. Sounds crazy to say the Cleveland Browns, but I'm just going to say when push comes to shove, I got to go with the quarterbacks. So I'm going to go with Kansas City against the Pack. State Farm Insurance quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes showing off here at SoFi uh, for, the, for the big game. Colin, do you want to wrap up? Yeah, um, I suppose, look, Steve, the, the nice thing about uh, Ireland is the fact that win, lose, a draw, we tend to go for a pint afterwards. So whether your predictions are right or wrong, you are welcome to, to join us in, uh, in Dublin at some stage. We'd be delighted to hear, to share some stories with you over some of those uh, spirits that you mentioned earlier on. Look, you, uh, you've been so generous with your time. You've offered such wonderful insights. Thanks for being a wonderful guest on the Irish NFL show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm going to take you guys up on this. When I show up, man, you guys better not fake out on me. No. Guaranteed. guaranteed. We, we'll, we'll be here. We'll be ready and wait. We'll have a pint of Guinness ready for you, Steve. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Tell me this real quick. So my, my wife's Jamaican, so a lot of folks in Jamaica drink their Guinness warm. I like mine a little cooler. How, how do you guys tend, prefer to drink it over in Ireland? Ice cold. Ice cold. Cooler the better. Yeah, okay. All right, there we go. All right.